Well, hello there, Straddle listeners. I'm Mikey. And I'm Talt. How are you feeling today, Mikey? I'm feeling great, because do we have a juicy treat of an episode for you today with our guest, Nicole Jensen? You sure are right, man. Nicole is an accredited marketing freelancer who began as a project support officer for the Queensland Department of Education. She then worked events and community management that led to a social media specialist for BCM Partnerships and Interactive Minds. She is also the founder of Cointrell Consulting, a startup looking to meet business partners, advisors, investors, web developers, and other talented people to grow this cutting-edge agency. She's more than talented, and this podcast inspired me and gave me a lot of direction about where I can see myself in the media industry. I definitely agree. It was great to hear with a freelancer with such an in-depth knowledge of how the industry works. I really hope you enjoy today's episode. This is the third episode of Keys to Success. I'm Taltanist. And I'm Michael Ibram. We hope you enjoy. Our economy is transitioning away from the mining. We are in a world where the most valuable capital is human capital. Don't be afraid to volunteer. It's about getting involved and it's about pushing yourself. We will make America great again. If you feel the same energy that I do, if you feel the same urgency that I do, if you feel the same passion that I do. In the university context, moving through to professional context is how you engage on that wider platform. Welcome to the third podcast for Keys to Success. I'm Tal Tanis. And I'm Michael Ibrahim. And we're here with Nicole Jensen. Nicole, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. Great to have you here. Uh, Nicole, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, yes, of course. Um, I'm a bit of dabbler. Um, freelance social media strategist, um, event manager, project manager, digital aficionado, um, all sorts of bits, bits and pieces. So, yeah. Fantastic. So, um, Nicole, when we were looking into your stuff, we saw that you've been in this industry since about 2003. Mm, yes, that would be accurate. Yes. Can you tell us a bit about what it was like starting out back then before social media was really such a thing as it is now? Absolutely. So in 2001, I'm going to start getting into like, you know, junior high school here. Yeah, wow. um, I grew up in the country and got involved with some youth groups and decided that I wanted to help with publicity for our cause to get a skate park built. And that was my first, actually, that was the first time I was on radio. It was the first time I actually um, explored traditional media. Um, at the same time, I was discovering the internet and discovering that there's a lot more there than just my little country town had to offer. So Even I, in 2001? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of forum-based sites. Um, okay. I think LiveJournal and MySpace were around a little bit after that. Um, but it was actually, yeah, mates at college who got me onto Facebook in 2006. So jumping forward a little bit, um, I had, you know, gone to school. I didn't actually know really what I wanted to do. Mm. thought journalism, that'd be pretty sweet. Um, but then my English teacher disagreed with me and I was like, oh, okay. Um, and then I get, went to college and started doing sociology and psychology for a little bit. But while I was doing that, I was actually doing publicity for college events at International House UQ. They have an annual multicultural festival called Soiree. Oh, wow. And that was where I started wheeling and dealing with uh, companies for sponsorship for free marketing and things like that. So... That was when I started doing more promotional media. Still didn't really click um, mm. that that was where I should be looking at rather than sociology. And then I went, you know, um, I think I put my degree on hold. Um, I was a bit ill for a little while and then came back and went, actually, I've been doing all of this events experience. Why don't I study that? Right. Okay. So did so, diploma. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. What was your official degree you studied in? What I actually graduated in was a Bachelor of Business majoring in events management. Okay. okay. Yeah. 
And throughout that, I was running you know, conferences, um, doing bits and pieces, doing a lot of social events um, out around Brisbane. Twitter became my new love when it came to technology. Um, met some amazing people. That was when, this is back in 09, I think, um, 08. And Twitter was, you know, you go on there and be like, was anyone here from Brisbane? Be cool if we could meet up. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was what it was. It was yeah. a niche, quiet website. And we started organizing pub nights. Um, it's now called, it's still, it was called Beathub. Mm. And I was in charge of running those nights. We'd get about to 75, I think, maybe even 100 people um, on those monthly events. And that was just organized through Twitter. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, it really? was, um, I didn't think Twitter was that active. Like, it, yeah. Back in um, 08, especially, or 09, sorry. I remember 08, I remember, I think there were about maybe 10 or 12 people mm. at the, like the first meetup that I went to. And yeah, I was by means not the first person to, to really get that going. So yeah, it, um, as it got more and more traction, um, I was doing other events and then I was being asked to speak about how to use social media for events. And then I just started getting more and more requests mm. for work in social media. Um, Before that started happening, when mm. you were studying events, was social media a element in your degree at that point? Oh, or? no. No? Okay, so no. you were really pioneering it. It was... Yeah, I, I knew that I liked the tools. I knew that the student cohort that we were targeting was using Facebook mm-hmm. and these other sites um, to find out what was going on, chat to their friends. And so that was, you know, I was going where the people were. That was, you know, and that's the advice that you still get mm-hmm. today. Um, go where your audience is. And yeah, so kind of went from there. Um, events into social media. I started doing talks about it. And then I was like, okay, well... I'll just freelance and then start taking on more clients. And oh, really? How old were you at this point? Ah, uh, God, I think I was actually I might have been like twenty-five. Actually, I was a little bit. Okay, um, by the time I did, worked out that I wanted to do events mm. at uni, I kind of um, stuffed around a little bit. And um, well, that makes yeah. me feel a lot better. Yeah, no, I'm no, twenty-five no, 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 and I'm, um, I'm just yeah. considering another degree. <laughs> I, I um, my early twenties, I you know stuffed around a little bit, just trying to work out what I wanted to do. Mm. And I guess that clue was that social media, the thing that I was to do um, didn't really exist then. Um, mm. You know, there was a concept, there were no courses. Um, you know, last year or a little bit before, I actually ended up teaching a diploma of social media marketing, which oh, wow. now exists. Yeah. Um, I remember the one lecture I had on marketing uh, on social media, um, I knew more than the lecture did. Um, he had no cases for Twitter. <laughs> it was basically, we don't know what this is, so it's not useful. I'm like, oh, hi. <laughs> There's so much happening there. Um, so what sort of yeah. like strategies were you coming up with for your social media marketing and campaign? If there wasn't any resources to draw on, were you just having to come up with like these ideas and, and pure social? Yeah, we okay. didn't have ads back then. There mm. were no Facebook ads. There were no you know paid what a world. platform. <laughs> yeah, and again, we didn't have the budget or anything yeah. at, at all either. So it was very much reaching out to our friends and just talking and being social. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we actually for those pub nights. One time we actually changed venues and that was because the new venue was actually, was talking to us on Twitter and understood the platform. Mm. And we were like, you get this. Um, we're going to yeah, move to you. Easy. And yeah, they treat us very well. And, um, you know, they understood the value of um, having that many people in their establishment. So it was more conversational, definitely just, you know, promoting what we were doing, talking about the cool stuff that was happening. Um, yeah, and there were no real businesses on there i guess like when it's entertainment it's a much easier um mm. area than say i think um the most interesting 
client I've worked on was like a tax depreciation business (laughs) and um, yeah just like real estate (laughs) and stuff like that so yeah it's come from you know I've done legal uh, like family law accounting firms accounting uh, colleges education um, burlesque um, what else Oh, all sorts of things. Mm. So, like, did you... What was your first... Like, did you ever intern in any place? Or did you have an official job where you kind of entered the industry and gained some experience? Or did all your experience come from... did a little bit. I I worked with the... Straight out of uni, I worked with the Department of Education. And how I got that job was actually through posting everywhere on social media that I was willing to give anyone an hour of my time for free as long as they passed my resume to someone who would be looking for someone with my skills, right? Wow, that's the hustle. (laughs) Yeah. Um, ABC News um, picked up the story and I talked to Spencer Housen on ABC Radio about it and I had 15 interviews in two weeks. Wow. All of them Mm. wanting to offer me a job. Wow. And I chose with the the Department of Education cyber safety team. Oh. Yeah, um, which was a different angle from the marketing Mm -hmm. media. So I learned a lot about reputation management, privacy, you know, I knew exactly where all of Facebook's reporting forms were. And we saw, I guess, the negative side of social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of reporting content there that we needed to get off. Cyberbullying type things. Yes, a yeah. lot. Okay. It was, um, there was a lot of difficult cases that mm-hmm. we worked with, um, potentially, yeah, because, you know, I just couldn't imagine going through that now. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel lucky that I haven't really experienced that too much. Yeah. And um, going from that, we'd also go to schools and teach kids how to use the internet mm-hmm. well. And I reframed that basically into content marketing. It was what positive content can you put out there that'll help your chances of getting into uni, um, that'll you know show potential employers that you mean business, that you're into mm-hmm. what you do. And yeah, we were even talking to like grade five students. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Starting young. Yeah, just talking about like positive content because that was, um, yeah, the department had realized that was the way to go. Around when was this? Just so I could put a timeline. Uh, 2010, 11. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so was Facebook still relevant then? It was such oh, early on. I like. I remember creating a Facebook account in 2010, but it was like on a trip to America, mm. and it was, it was everyone was telling me yeah. it was like you need to get on this platform. And I back, came back to Australia, and I, I still remember people saying, so oh, "I'm on my, MySpace." My space. Still, yeah, still yep. yeah. Well, we knew of kids having you know accounts before they were 13 before they meant mm-hmm. to be on there yeah. we knew kids having like fake accounts imitating each other imitating principles mm-hmm. imitating like just yeah there were a lot of different cases we had a lot on tumblr a lot on mm-hmm. um oh it was a call not ask fm but there was another like one of those anonymous question yeah sites um so there were you know some different bits and pieces mm-hmm. um, just a little side question i'm kind yeah, of interested yeah. by this do you feel like cyberbullying for the younger age has changed at all from that time you've done it or do you think it's still been consistent trends as I also so that's an interesting question that you're asking me um, I actually speak for a mental health organisation called Batia and they have a lot of resources on this so um, anyone interested in that do um, I do um, suggest getting in touch with them but can you spell that just for our B-A-T-Y-R okay. it's a blue elephant as their logo they um, we go to schools and talk about mental health and mm-hmm. you know all the positive sides and you know destigmatizing and yeah so it's definitely gotten worse but i think as as adults and educators have become more knowledgeable about what mm. these platforms can do and the impact that it's having on kids they're actually able to um you know, educate their kids, I guess, on more positive uses mm. and, you know, making sure that they know how to respond to, you know, a bully online or 
uh, privacy infringement and things like that. Okay. Um, the law, yeah, the law is also keeping up with that. So just to like bring that back to the main conversation, I'm just interested. Do you feel like, like let's say a student had a prior history on bullying or any kind of like in-net history with that, is that like really important for someone to try to be proactive and like maybe try to delete all those posts? Or do, do you think employees mm. ever like view people's history and their relationship with the internet? Do you think students need to be a bit more careful? Assume, with what assume that they are. Absolutely. Anything that you know, any media, anything that's going to come up in the Google search history is immediately um, going to be found pretty quickly. Um, yeah, especially if they're looking at hiring you, they are going to flick back a few pages mm. on Google. You know, don't think that just because it's on the second page doesn't mean that they're not going to find it. I would definitely think twice before, you know, just, I don't know, <laughs> just being a moron online, yeah. don't, don't do it. Have things. a think. Yeah, have a think. Um, you know, I'm... I'm probably, you know, an oversharer. Like, mm. I talk a lot online, but, you know, I, I've i never been a bully. Like, I don't yeah. think... I would hate to think that anything that I've done online has been construed as negative or hurtful, and I mm. would never want an employer to see that. So I think people, yeah, still need to be aware. Okay. So um, back to with you working in the, the educational mm. sector in the government, were you freelancing while you were doing that, or is that your full-time gig? I was starting to, yeah. Okay. It was full-time. Um, I actually then left the department because I couldn't see myself going further in government mm. and I'm quite an ambitious person. So I worked with an agency in Brisbane for a couple of months and worked on some pretty good um, pretty good campaigns then. Um, there was a lot of overnights um, because that was when Tony Abbott was going up against Gillard in the mm. national election. Oh, wow. And we were covering all of the debates for some of our clients that were politically inclined. Can you give us like a, a brief rundown of sorry, like one of the projects you were doing while you were working there? Sure, sure. So uh, one of them was the uh, Australian Chamber of Commerce Too Big to Ignore campaign. So I wasn't actually on, I wasn't actually in the agency when that was being conceptualised. Um, but we, I was running the community and it was amazing because nothing like politics, right? Yeah. Anytime we posted an update on, you know, Labor's new small business policy, we'd have everyone from like, you know, who voted the other way just going you know this page is so biased blah 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 and then five minutes later we'd post the other way and get the same response from the opposite (laughs) side and um yeah so we were really monitoring and really watching for what people were saying that was when it was you know we did a lot of uh not so much banning from the page we tried to avoid that Mm. tried to definitely give everyone an even platform um however yeah there was a lot of making like there were comments there i had to be on it it was a lot of just 24 7 yeah yeah that was what i really learned um the the importance of being responsive mm. yeah online yeah that's just such an interesting time to work in media because i feel like that was our version of like the trump election in a lot of way there was like i remember a lot of like yeah. strong harsh words that both sides were throwing at each other yeah. but especially i think tony abbott maybe used a lot of that um i wouldn't say he used any of that content but he did build a lot of momentum and i feel like he in a weird way kind of had online communities kind of help him like kind of how mm. Obama in 2008 really mastered Twitter and a lot of social media platforms to push a lot of his like create his a, a movement was mm. it was it weird operating in the digital sphere at that time or like did you see kind of the, the environment we have now and how like important it is for politicians or any kind of social figure to really have a voice online was that like a big signpost do you feel I think it was definitely 
gaining traction then like we knew that that was um going to be a really important um part of the campaign um yeah it was we didn't have much in way of advertising we did a little bit you know ads here and there depending on what the client um, was after but there was certainly no polls and no you know call to action forms like it was very basic um facebook ads Mm -hmm. and yeah um then it was basically everyone's on Facebook now. From then on, it was like Facebook, you've got to have a Facebook. And mm. since then, I've really seen businesses even not even having websites and just having a Facebook just page, which I would never recommend. I recommend <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's even more important now um, that people have their own assets online. Yeah. They're, they're driving their own content rather than renting on these other spaces. Yeah, I really feel like I've seen that on maybe the platform YouTube that like their algorithms really placate for like certain types of content to really mm. strive in that media sphere. So some companies that really solely use only one platform, they might find no traction at all because it's not optimized for them. Absolutely. I mean, after I left the agency, um, after a couple of months, that was when I was really getting inquiries for social media freelance um, work. So I was working for a lot of charities at the beginning. And um, there was a family law firm. They were um, really adamant that they wanted AdWords, but I was trying to get them to use their Facebook platform because they had the followers. They actually had some good traction there. And it, yeah, very much became, you've got to have a Facebook page. This is where it is. But then that was difficult for some clients because they would be more relevant on LinkedIn or, Mm. you know, they were more um, B2B services rather than, you know, consumer focused would you recommend your, your clients to have presence on all of the platforms, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, or... Snapchat, YouTube. Like, yeah. there's, <laughs> like there's so many. I, yeah. I, you know, most businesses don't have the time for any of yeah, like, yeah. all of that. Um, absolutely. I would recommend having a look at what your audience uses. Mm-hmm. First of all, go to them and ask. Mm. Firstly, I think um, we've kind of gotten stuck behind our laptops and not actually going out and talking to our market so start from that and go just go do you like facebook Mm. if they're not into it maybe it's just instagram um maybe it's twitter something else you might find that it's something you would not have thought Mm. um you know linkedin has actually changed a lot over the years i think it's fine it's it's a lot more casual and a lot more um more around work-life balance and mindset rather than just who got what promotion Mm. So, yeah, I'd, I'd keep it open mind and ask the market. I'm just a little curious. How do you feel Twitter operates in Australia? Because my relationship with Twitter has been like, it's a channel into like kind of events. Mm. It's like, oh, this big event's happening, this big, I can follow all the twi- tweets live, uh, live now, but I don't really know how to use it in like a day-to-day uh, level. Sure. Um, on a day-to-day level, I use it to, you know, follow along the other events that I'm not at. So um, a great example is, say, Social Media World or, you know, um, an international event that you know all of your idols are are attending and you can get, you know, top information, good reminders, good, um, you know, advice in short little bursts of, you know, little bits. Um, So it's actually good for the day-to-day. If you're just, like, on the bus, flicking through Twitter, you can still gain some good insights without actually having to read, like, a full-on article or watch a you know a documentary or do you think it's relevant like let's say a student i could really see come to a company and they're like i want to run your twitter do you think twitter is relevant for companies or do you think it's more of a personal thing or absolutely definitely useful for companies Uh, if someone's going to complain about you you'd better be monitoring twitter um governments are using it 
all sorts of places. Um, again, it depends on your industry and it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're, say, a local cafe, um, probably better on Instagram mm. so people can see, you know, they're more likely to be looking through for hospitality. Yeah, visual sort of stuff when you see pictures of the meals and the coffees. Absolutely. Yeah. And having your location in there is really important as well. With Twitter, if you want, if you were a cafe and wanted to connect to, say, a wider if you wanted to learn from other baristas or other hospitality professionals, that would be a good way to do it. Um, yeah, it, it, it very much differs in terms of... Um, it's good for partnerships, I find, as well. Um, if you're looking for sponsorship or you know to learn from other people, it's a good one there. So, yeah, more of a networking one. So that raises a question for me. Um, working in digital communications, it's sort of like you got to be a jack-of-all-trades when it comes to all the different spheres of communication. Mm. How would you advise to somebody to, to keep up with all the trends that's happening across all the different platforms and actually be able to stay savvy and up-to-date to bring them that expertise to a business maybe who their owner is in a later generation and doesn't really understand how it all works? Mm. Look, it is tough. Mm. It is tough. Um, a lot of my clients that I had as well knew that they had to be on social media but didn't really believe in it. Mm. So I did spend a lot of time educating clients beforehand, just saying, okay, here are the benefits and this is what we can expect to get out of it and this is what you won't get out of it. So sometimes, you know, the client would go off and be like, okay, well, actually what we need is media and PR rather than just social or we need a better website. And like, that was fine. I was happy to, you know, always help with them. In terms of, uh, sorry, I lost track of the question. It was, um, (laughs) it was, how do you, how do you stay, um, Oh, really? But yes, that's right. Oh, look, it's hard. It's so difficult. And that's why I I love Twitter. That's why I love Twitter. Um, LinkedIn now has these daily wrap up topics as well. So for, for my case, running a business, I'm also having to stay up to date with leadership and business skills Mm -hmm. and account management and direction and just there's so much and that was I think why freelancing is so difficult because you've got to stay on top of the skills in so many different areas Mm. and use your networks you know um, there's some great Facebook app um, groups now that are around business around freelancers Um, freelance jungle is the best one in Australia okay Um, yeah um, you can find and just use your search terms in those groups searching for other copywriters for other email specialists you know um people do specialize in certain areas i guess to uh like focusing on that well like as a new student like myself i'm just about to enter the workforce i'm on my last semester uh and i'm trying to figure out what kind of skills do i really want to develop like i do i have, a, I have interest in everywhere so i don't like i know the best thing is to go whatever you like the most but as a media and comm student you've already been thrown everything at you like I know a bit about the Adobe suite I'm a little okay at Photoshop in design but I'm also like I kind of done one AdWords campaign I've wrote a couple of blogs as someone, of trades, yeah, yeah pretty much like is, <laughs> is there anything you find that's really more vital when you're entering the workforce um, in the media landscape that you should try to focus on more maybe you should have a blog page or anything you kind of my initial reaction to that is to not rush it because you're in a great position where you have all this knowledge and training. Like I didn't do any media or communication. Like I did project management and events. Um, you know, entrepreneurship marketing was good was a good one too. But don't rush into it. You'll find what people want from you. You'll find what you're good at. Um, you know, keep dabbling with different things. Um, there'll always be skills for creatives like you know, if you want to go graphic design or you want to go into audio or, you know, a copywriting, creative, like whatever, they will always be in demand. But also there's always going to be, um, if you can prove return on investment and look at the numbers and understand what that is, 
going to give a business and in put that in dollar amounts for them you'll always be in demand as well so yeah it just depends on you know that kind of um mythological right brain left brain type thing so yeah it's um but i'd say after after graduation just yeah trying trying different things playing around seeing what you like and seeing what other people want from you is there any is there any um like mistakes you've seen maybe interns that you've ever maybe encountered or just like things you always see like oh your experience kind of showed you not to do that one thing or is there anything that comes to mind absolutely um more from freelancing i would say and more around my business skills um i charged way too little when i first started (laughs) (laughs) um always had that habit um but then you know got used to that and you know just started seeing okay well yes this is valuable this is what people are willing to pay and this is what i need to pay you know, need to earn to, to make that happen for them. Um, getting comfortable with that was actually a little bit tricky. And then also when you're managing other people and working with other people, understand why they're there. Um, I think I'm still learning how to do this best, but making sure that you understand other people's motivations and listen well to them. So if you're hiring an intern or you know scaling up from freelance to grabbing an assistant on board, Checking their technical abilities, of course, checking, you know, just doing an in-depth um, analysis as to what their skills are, where the gaps are, where you can fill that in, etc. Um, I want to get back to um, the internship thing in a second, but first, the uh, first part of your answer, you said that you were charging too little for work that you were doing. That seems like a difficult thing to consolidate at the moment because I've got a lot of friends who are finding they can't charge anything for what they're doing because the market is so saturated with content creators, graphic designers from Mm. completely amateur to educated who at this point will take any work even if it's for free. So I don't know, how do you you think you should navigate your way around that? I recently, I mean the other thing I did when I was starting out was I didn't have a niche. I just served, you know, I just worked with any Mm. small business. Um, and I really should not have done that. I think I should have niched down and chosen, um, you know, a particular industry or a particular problem to solve. So if you can always focus on the problem that you're solving for them, mm. um, the tools come second. You know, um, I'll recommend Twitter, great, but it's, if it's not solving the problem or I haven't right. even thought about why we're on there, then it's just wasting everyone's time and money. Um in terms of yeah look the market was not as crowded back then um we are talking only four or five years ago yeah it has become more and more important to show your value and not just talk about it actually show case studies and Mm -hmm. actually have lots of testimony the moment i put reviews and testimonials on my website i got like like a hundred more um reviews and stuff like that so by all means don't be afraid to you know do the odd pro bono work Mm -hmm. every now and then but you know you've definitely got to set yourself aside from the rest of the like the pack and then you know price based on that um there's other things like you know value-based pricing methods and things like that i never really succeeded at that properly but often you know the um yeah pricing is flexible so what sort of things then do you look for when hiring interns do you look for somebody who set themselves aside or do you take on people that you more click with Absolutely, more yeah. clicking with. Um, I need to make sure that we can work together, mm-hmm. that they're reliable. I've had a lot of people, um, you know, just not prioritize it enough. Okay. So looking for reliable people who are dedicated, have the same values as you, mm-hmm. and can see the the value that the client's getting out of it as well. Um, I think that's probably the 
Yeah, it's more value based. Okay. Technical things like obviously you know you want someone who's great at graphic design. Often yeah. I'll I'll go for a specialist. I think okay, I need a designer. I can't do all this. I just need someone who can yeah. do that. And if I find out that they do copywriting, great. I don't have to hire someone else. Okay, so if you're looking at someone's resume, and is there anything in particular that pops out? Do you like a really well-described cover letter that does like show the same values you have? Or are you looking for like maybe a Google certificates? Or is there anything you recommend that like is a good kind of good way to separate yourself from other applicants? Yeah, uh, look, any courses or um, you know majors in media and design or technology definitely helps. Um, and that's coming more common. Like, you know, a couple of years ago, no one had a diploma in social media. <laughs> like, um, it didn't exist. So it was more than the experience and the clients that you work with, the projects. So definitely in your resume is putting in, um, you know, we got a click-through rate on this campaign of, you know, this percent. Um, you know, highlighting the successes through each project. It's those that are going to get my attention. Um, and then also, I guess, you know, how they communicate as well. There's a long rambling um, cover letter. <laughs> like we're everyone's busy these days. You've mm. got to be able to be, you've got to be succinct, succinct, clear, and you know get to the point fast. Okay, um, I guess like we're nearly coming to the end of the podcast. Mm. I'm a little interested. Where do you see the industry going? Or do you, do you have any kind of like future predictions of Great like question? <laughs> I'm trying to get. Um, my head around more marketing automation processes. So um, how do you onboard clients quickly and giving them the right information at the right time um, without actually having to sit down full time to do that? So yeah, definitely, you know, marketing automa- um, marketing cam- um, chatbots and things like that, definitely seeing more of that happening, mm-hmm. especially for repeated processes. It'll just save so much time and money. I'm seeing... Definitely, there's always going to be a need for good customer service. So the user experience, the customer experience, and understanding their customer journey is going to be priceless. You're going to need that. And then also, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality. I'm seeing some cool agencies working with stuff there as well. For marketing type things, for communications. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm more for, say... Because I'm aware of them for, for gaming, obviously. Mm, uh, look at real estate and property if you can do a walk, oh. virtual walk if you're in a, like Sydney and you can do a virtual mm-hmm. walkthrough of a, a million dollar apartment in yeah. Yeah. Brisbane actually my friend he created his own company called 360 Films and they would make Oculus Rift um, like you could see all these apartments and one of the things he was doing he was editing he would get his drone to fly at different sections and take video of the windows that would be in there mm-hmm. so they could create the digital imaging of it and then put the actual windows so you could see what your view is cool. absolutely so it's yeah. like that, that's yeah I can see that actually blowing up more he, yeah. the only problem he couldn't really get enough work because it was too new but I, absolutely yeah that's gonna be a, yeah that was probably a struggle that I had at the beginning too you might find yourself people inquiry mm-hmm. and will ask and then realize, oh, wait, this is too much. I don't understand it properly. Um, let's not go forward with this. This is too difficult. If you could explain it in easy, simple terms that non-technical people can understand, um, then, you know, that's a really good way. That's a great skill to have. Nicole, we're down to our last uh, minute or so of the podcast. So I'd like to ask what's, um, I guess, your professional ethos or your life philosophy that you bring to your work? Collaboration mm-hmm. is better than competition. Absolutely. I'm a continual learner, even if that's uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I watched a great podcast, uh, sorry, a Todd video the other day on uncomfortable learning. 
and I'm very much wanting to always learn new ways. I'm very much on efficiencies and just want to find the best way to do something. Um, that's basically how I, you know, operate and I'm very much, um, you know, socially aware and progressive and things like that. So, um, you know, diversity counts for me, like for my projects and, you know, the values, um, behind a business, why they operate. Mm. Well, thank you so much for coming. You've been a wealth of information. Like, I feel like I've learned more from this conversation than I have with many, many other experiences. I've, I'm just very impressed. You're um, a fantastic guest, Nicole. Thank you very much. Yeah. Do you have any, no just to sign you off, do you have any handles that you want to like or companies which could follow you? Upcoming yeah. events you'd like to promote? Um, I'm just starting a new venture called Quaintrail Consulting. It is a, attending to be a full service digital agency for the adult entertainment industry. And that's a podcast for another day. And I'm Nicole Jensen. Awesome. Pretty much everywhere. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Tal Dennis. This has been Keys to Success Podcast 3. We're Nicole Jensen. And I'm Michael Ibram. Thank you very much. That was a great podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. Playing us out is Rugged Coast, a local Brisbane band that's actually getting a bit of notoriety. Um, this is their main song, Such a Shame.
Just shave with it, or you're turning into a cliche. 